Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Old Masters Podcast. I'm Liam. And I'm Lizzie. I hope you enjoy listening to today's episode. As Suresh Madhavan is the former dean and current professor of pharmacotherapy at the University of North Texas Health Science Center, System College of Pharmacy in Fort Worth, Texas. As Dean, Dr. Madhavan serves as the Chief Academic and Administrative Officer of the College of Pharmacy and oversees all aspects of education of over 350 professional degree, certificate, master's, and PhD program students. The college's research enterprise and the service and clinical practice initiatives of the college. He leads an Executive Council of Administrators, Facility Preceptors, students and staff of the college towards achieving the mission and goals of the college in alignment with the UNTHSC and UNT system components. Dr. Madhavan's primary areas of research interest include health services and outcomes research with particular emphasis on improving access to and quality of health and preventative care services. He has been involved in numerous grants and contracts exceeding 35 million from federal and state agencies and private corporations, and published over a hundred peer-reviewed publications. He has mentored over a dozen junior faculty and 23 PhD graduates in health services and outcomes research. Previously, Dr. Madhavan held various faculty positions spanning 31 years at West Virginia University School of Pharmacy, including professor and chair. Throughout his career in pharmacy education, Dr. Madhavan has been involved in developing, implementing, and evaluating innovative roles for pharmacists in the healthcare system. He has served on the Accreditation Council for Pharmacy of Education since 2012. Dr. Madhavan is a fellow of the American Pharmacists Association and is a 2005-2006 American Association of Colleges of Pharmacies Leadership Fellow. Dr. Madhavan is the recipient of the WVU Health Sciences Center Chancellor's Award for Outstanding Research and Scholarship and is a distinguished alumnus of Purdue University College of Pharmacy. Dr. Madhavan received the Paul R. Dawson Award for Excellence in Patient Care Research from the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy in 2018 and the Research Achievement Award in Pharmaceutical Sciences from the American Pharmacists Association in 2021. Dr. Madhavan earned his PhD in Pharmacy Administration from Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, a Master's of Business Administration from the University of Pune in India, and a Bachelor's of Pharmacy from the University of Bombay in India. Let us welcome Dr. Suresh Madhavan. Suresh, it is so great to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. We are going to start today with what we call rapid fire questions. This is the portion of our podcast where we ask you some questions so the audience can get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question, where did you grow up? So I grew up in a city called Kalyan, uh, just outside Bombay in India. Lived there 23 years of my life, and then I came to the U.S. about 40 years ago. Home for me right now is in Fort Worth, where I live and work. My family, my wife and son, they are in Philadelphia. But my real home is in India, where I grew up. Well, while you were at Purdue, what did you study? So at Purdue, I did my PhD in pharmacy administration. And I did that after I got my undergraduate degree in pharmacy and an MBA from India. And I spent five wonderful years at Purdue University School of Pharmacy. 
Of course, wonderful. Nothing, nothing more wonderful than Purdue University. Indeed. Uh, why did you choose to attend Purdue? You know, I mentioned I got a, a bachelor's degree in pharmacy and then I did an MBA. So everything I'm talking about happened 40 years ago. So there's a time warp, right? I mean, in terms yeah. of things that happened, you know, in, in another dimension, actually. I did my MBA and I joined a pharmaceutical company and I wasn't really feeling challenged in my job. So I decided to do something different. And then more out of a sense of adventure than any interest in research, I decided to apply to PhD programs. And I thought the programs in the US are absolutely top notch. Applied to five schools, Purdue was one of them. And the really interesting thing was Purdue responded to me within two weeks with the acceptance and an assistantship and a tuition waiver. And I accepted right away. And my first thought was, I'll be so close to the Indy 500. I'll go and I'll be actually be able to see it. But of <laughs> course, in the five years I was there, I never went to the Indy 500. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, a great Indiana event there. Now, uh, while you were at Purdue, what was your favorite pro professor or your most influential class? It's hard to say. There's so many things that was wonderful about Purdue. There's some great faculty, and when I name them, they are essentially the who, who is who in pharmacy academia. I'll start with Dr. Evanson, Robert Evanson. He was considered the father of pharmacy administration. He was the first person to get a PhD in my field. And then Dr. Chalmers, who was the department chair, Bob Chalmers, Dr. Holly Mason, Dr. Steve Schondelmeyer, Dr. Joe Thomas, who I think is still here. Others are not at Purdue. A couple of them have passed away, unfortunately. So all of them had major impact on my life because they helped me see academia as it really is as compared to what I thought academia was. So no particular individual, but a, you know quite a few of them. And my educational experiences in the College of Pharmacy as well as in the business school at Cranach were all very inspiring and helpful. You've been a student and uh, worked at many different universities. Uh, can you tell us your favorite university from a student perspective and then your favorite university from an administrator's perspective? Okay, I need to be right about this. Uh, as a student, certainly in the U.S., my favorite university is Purdue because that's the place I got my PhD. I came from a culture uh, that was different. I was 23 years old, young, fresh out of my MBA program. Actually, I'd worked for a year in a pharmaceutical company and then came to Purdue and saw a whole different aspect of education and pharmacy. And so certainly Purdue is that favorite place for education. Although I think I was inspired by so many teachers right from kindergarten to elementary school, to middle school, to high school, to college, in my pharmacy program, in my MBA program. But the program that most influenced me in terms of my career today has been my education at Purdue uh, in the School of Pharmacy. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I've been at two public universities, West Virginia University for about three decades. And the second university I've been at is University of North Texas in Fort Worth. It's part of the University of North Texas Health Science Center. And I've been here four years. And both in both places, I've met fantastic faculty, staff, and students. And I've learned a lot from them and who all have left lasting impressions in terms of my life and memories that I'll carry forward. Of course.
well, what is, and this could be anything, uh, what is something that people might not know about you, but you're proud of? Hmm. As I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, my full name is 44 <laughs> letters. My full name is Sundareshwaran Narayanan Urtachan Madhavan. So Sundareshwaran is my name. Narayanan is my grandfather's name. Madhavan is my father's name. And Urtachan is essentially the clan name. Uh, it's 44 letters, although I don't use that anymore. I've condensed that on my passport. It's a mouthful for most people anyway. So mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people don't know about me. Uh, things that I'm most proud of certainly are my two sons and my wife, particularly her devotion to them. And I'm so grateful to have her help. Both my sons have different types of disabilities. My older son has congenital. Every day I see him with all of the things that he faces, how resilient he is. And he's such a happy-go-lucky person. He inspires me. And a lot of things can happen that are not very nice for a young man like him. But nevertheless, at the end of the day, he will say, happy, happy day, dad, whenever he calls me on FaceTime. And that makes all the difference in the world to me. So I have two wonderful young gentlemen in my life and my wife. Very proud of them. Of course. Well, you obviously have lived in both. So what would you what city would you say is better? Fort Worth or Philadelphia? They are both very large cities. Very hard to navigate in terms of traffic and different cultures. Philadelphia is a much older city, very congested, very narrow roads, uh, windy roads. Fort Worth is, uh, is less so in terms of congestion, you know, wide roads, uh, but still the traffic in both places are pretty intense. And the cultures are different. Pennsylvania is a very different state from uh, Texas. So they have all been very meaningful. I was very honored and delighted when in 2017, I was invited to be a distinguished alum by my College of Pharmacy at Purdue. Following that, I also was very proud when my National Association, American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, awarded me the Paul Dawson Award for Excellence in Patient Care Research. It was based on my contributions to expanding the role of pharmacists in healthcare, particularly as it relates to their role in immunizations. I did some studies working with the American Pharmacists Association many years ago that many cite as the impetus which made CDC recognize the uh, vital role that pharmacists and pharmacies can play in terms of increasing immunization rates, both childhood as well as, as, well as adult. And as you know, what happened during the pandemic, 70% of all vaccinations have been administered in pharmacies. Now, if that network had not been there, it would have been very difficult to, to increase immunizations in the country. And that award was very special because it's from a, the National Association of Academic Pharmacy, Pharmacists. The third is, award I got was from the American Pharmacists Association. They gave me a research achievement award, mostly, mostly based on my career and things that I've done in the, in the associations, in education, as well as research relating to pharmacists. So all of those three, all of those awards have, have been very meaningful to me. 
And I'm very grateful that they found me worthy of those awards. Well, this last one, uh, more of a more of a fun one for sure. Uh, I've heard, um, I know there's some very complicated jargon and different medical words in the world of pharmacy. Uh, are there any words that are very fun to say or just very, very complicated? Gosh, there are so many, right? <laughs> it's hard to pick any. So yeah, coming from India, I have a difficult time distinguishing words that start with a W and words that start with a V. Oftentimes in my classrooms, I would use that word and I'll see this surprised look or perplexed look on the face of the mm -hmm. students. And then I have to pause and enunciate very carefully. And I'm not even sure even now that I'm doing it correctly, but my wife had pointed that out to me that I have a difficult, I, had, I have difficulty distinguishing between the W's and the V's. Uh, and so that to me has been a challenge. So anytime I have to use that word or any other word that is with a V, I have to pause in my mind and then slowly say the word to make sure that I'm communicating or uh, people are understanding what I'm trying to say. So, uh, so yeah, medical terms, I think everybody understands they can be long and complicated, but to me, the word vague is is challenging. Well, thank you so much for answering our rapid fire questions. So now we're gonna get into the rest of our show, uh, like the more long winded questions. So we're gonna start by asking if you could give us a 60 second elevator pitch about yourself. Maybe if there's something we missed asking you a question about before or just something you would like the audience to know about you, now's the time to say it. So the floor is yours. Sure, thank you. I was born and raised in India in a place called Kalyan just outside Bombay, which is probably one of the largest cities in the world. Grew up in a kind of an average middle-class family and had a wonderful childhood. My parents were very loving, they had a very, very stable home. And I think I grew up feeling very well adjusted as an individual in society. I studied B-Pharm, a Bachelor of Pharmacy, got my degree in pharmacy and then got an master's in business administration. Started working for a pharmaceutical company. And like I said, I wasn't feeling very challenged. So I decided to look at more training or education. Decided to look at op opportunities in the US. Got admitted to Purdue. Had a wonderful five years. But I'd always prepared for a career in the pharmaceutical industry. In my last year, I had some wonderful experiences and decided to try academia. So went to West Virginia University and then spent three decades there after telling everybody that I wasn't going to be there for more than two years. And so it was wonderful because I didn't think that academia would be suitable for me, but I found it wonderful. Got opportunities to influence young minds, mentor PhD students, do research that I felt was uh, helpful or impactful to society there, particularly in the areas in the area of health disparities research. And then was able to work and create large statewide programs that helped to improve medication use in the Medicaid and state government health health insurance program. After about three decades, you know, I had my son, so that kept us there for a long time because he was he was in a very good program there. I decided to look at something else, and I was had the opportunity to come to North Texas University of North Texas, and I spent spent four wonderful years here working with a team of uh, fantastic faculty, staff, and students, and. It's a young college, uh, unlike my previous university, which is more than 100 years old. University of North Texas College of Pharmacy is celebrating its 10th year this year. 
And so had an opportunity to work with a lot of people, make some contributions in that regard, working with everybody, grow research, certificate and master's degree programs, help to increase uh, student and faculty satisfaction. And this year, we, we just got accredited full eight years, which is the maximum time allowed. So so felt like I had a chance to make a positive contribution. And then also, I feel very grateful for all the opportunities I had to make uh, contributions at West Virginia University. Well, for all the uh, Purdue students listening out there, how would you say that Purdue prepared you? Indeed, I had gone into pharmacy with the idea of doing an MBA and working in a pharmaceutical company. So when I was taking quite a few courses in Cranet because my focus was pharmaceutical marketing. And then I did that for most of the five years I was there. And I was so impressed, so impacted by the fantastic faculty we had at the time. I already mentioned their names, Dr. Bob Evanson, Dr. Chalmers, Dr. Chandlemeyer, Dr. Mason, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Nick Popovich, who were great researchers, great scholars, teachers, educators. And I realized that academia in the U.S. is quite different from what I had imagined it to be. And so I, in the, I had the opportunity to be a TA, uh, a teaching assistant for a recitation section my last semester at Purdue. I enjoyed that very much, working with those students. Uh, it was essentially doing case studies with them and being responsible for a cohort of 30 students and for the whole semester opened my eyes to all the opportunities in academia. And so I decided to look at academia as a possibility instead of going into the pharmaceutical industry. I was recruited to West Virginia University. And even though I had... I was in the process of interviewing with two pharmaceutical companies. I decided to abandon that and just go into academia. But I wasn't completely sure that was going to be the right path for me. And then I spent the next three decades there. So I think that initial exposure to such terrific faculty at Purdue, the experience I had, and then finally being able to see what academia was truly like. I think was very impactful for me. And I've never looked back. I never had any regrets about not going to the pharmaceutical industry. We've talked a lot about your career in the U.S. and post getting your pharmacy degree, but we're wondering what inspired you to pursue a career in pharmacy in the first place? Sure. Um, um, as most students in India tend to be, our families encourage us to go either into engineering, medicine, computer science, or management. That's So there's a lot of family pressure, societal pressure to go into one of those career tracks. And I wanted to go into medicine. And I thought I was very competitive, applied to medical school at Bombay University. Unfortunately, what happened that particular year, that was in 1977, education system was changing. Initially, it used to be that you could apply to medical school after 13 years of schooling, 11 years in high school and two years in college. The system changed such that you could apply to medical school after 10 years of schooling and two years of college. So in that particular year, two cohorts of students came together applying to medical schools. 
normally there would be 13,000 students at Bombay University applying to about 500 seats. That year, there were 26,000 students, two cohorts applying to that seat. And unfortunately, I missed biomedical admission by one point. That sounds like a very narrow margin, but there were 17 students that were impacted with that one point difference. And then I decided to go into pharmacy because my father was a pharmacist. He didn't have a college degree, he had a diploma. I used to see pharmaceutical representatives visit him in his office. And I thought like, oh, that sounds very interesting, very exciting. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do a pharmacy degree, then get an MBA, and then work in the pharmaceutical industry. And so that's how I came into pharmacy, not necessarily interested in pharmacy practice, which is very different in India, but more with an interest in working in the pharmaceutical industry. So as someone who's applying to medical school, do you have advice for students who maybe miss that mark and don't get in on their first time and what to do next? I'm a great believer in perseverance. And what I've seen happen for a lot of students is when they miss getting admitted to a medical school, they typically tend to go and do a master's in biomedical sciences, which in many places is a one-year degree. It continues them in that direction, but adds a little bit more breadth to their uh, curriculum. It's also an opportunity for them to do really well, increase their GPA, maybe chance to take the MCATs again, and then become more competitive on the second try. But I've seen, and I've seen like, for example, we have a very strong MS in biomedical sciences program here at University of North Texas. It's a program that has about 150 uh, students in class and then about something similar in terms of online. And so I've seen, a, I've heard that 60, 70% of them get into medical school. And the vast majority of them are students who were not able to get into medical school on the first try. And so um, I think that's one way to do it. The other is also to apply to many places. Here we have the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is the number one school of osteopathic medical school, according to US News and data report. It's very competitive. They get about 4,000 applications for about 250 slots. And then there are certain states where they give first preference to in-state students. And so again, that's another thing you may want to consider. It's a matter of finding what is what else will make you happy? I'm a big believer of Ikegai, which I'll talk about maybe later, which is about finding the the that sweet spot in terms of what do you love to do? What are you good at? What you can get paid for? And what does society need? If you can find a sweet spot at the intersection of all those, then that is going to make you happy. And so... Uh, and in the end, it's about that. I, I, Looking back, even though I was disappointed, very disappointed, not getting into medical school, I think what happened, what has happened for me has been the best for me. So I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, however, there are many other doors that can open and can be and lead to exciting careers. And so, yeah, you just have to adapt. Of course, that is some extremely impactful advice studying in India and in America. And do you have any advice for international students coming from India to study here at Purdue University? I feel extraordinarily fortunate to have lived in two very 
exciting cultures and very different, one in the East, one in the West. And I hope I have assimilated the best of both those cultures. Studying in India, the education system, remember I'm talking about 40 years ago, book knowledge based. The volume of information that comes to you is enormous. The focus is more on producing knowledge rather than application of knowledge, problem solving. We, we at the time didn't focus much on written communication skills or public speaking or you know verbal communication skills. Our exams were essay type exams. So you would get a question that had 10 points, but you had to write two and a half, three pages in terms of response to that question. So we really need to know your content and everything about that content. And so that was different, but you, when you finish your education, you're very strong in math and the sciences in terms of basic fundamental concepts in those areas. However, in my education in the US system, the one at least, I was in a PhD program. The focus was more on application of knowledge, problem solving, a lot of writing we had to do. So you had to develop your writing skills. You had to do a lot of presentations. So you got a chance to improve your uh, public speaking skills. And also education in the US tends to be very state of the art. You are at the cutting edge of in, in all of the disciplines that you are, you are studying, which is very helpful, especially if you are in a lab-based or science program. Also, something I noticed was the relationship between a faculty person and a student in the US is less formal as compared to the relationship between a faculty and a student in India. In India, a student would always refer to the professor as sir and a lady professor as madam. You'd never you know, address them by the name, but here I've seen that sometimes there's a much more informal relationship. People will often refer to their professor as doctor so-and-so. And sometimes in some of the liberal arts, I've seen people be on first name basis. Uh, and so, so that's the difference. So coming from India initially, it takes time. And I've seen that happen with international students. And I spent uh, three of my five years there. I, I was a volunteer at the international student office. So when new students came to campus in fall, we would receive them, help them get situated, help find housing, take them grocery shopping, help them find a, a bank to open a bank account. So the thing that would be different is that they would see the differences and even the cultural differences were significant you know the way you go into a restaurant and order food the way the light switches in an office turn in, in india the switches turn you push them down for the light to come on here you push them up water for example kitchen sink the hot water here is on the left whereas in india it used to be on the right we drove on the left-hand side of the road. Here it is on the right-hand side of the road. So there are these, these differences. It takes some time to adapt, and then you have to come here with an open mind. People do have a lot of misconceptions about the U.S. in terms of what they see in Hollywood movies. And like you know, it's an exaggeration. It's never the real thing. And then they realize that no, people here are just as people anywhere else in the world with the same kinds of issues, you know. They all want to get a good education. They all want to have a happy family. They all want to get educated, have a good career. And they all are attached to their family members. And so, 
and I think it takes about six to nine months, but eventually everybody adapts. And the best advice I can give them is that, you know, don't stay with people from your culture or from your country when you first come here. Try to break out of that mindset because you're more comfortable, definitely, you know, being with people from your background. But break out, break out from that and force yourself to mix. Go to parties. That's the best way to meet people. And then suddenly you find that everybody's, you know, very similar. People are interested in you and you can be interested in them and you learn a lot about life in the U.S. So. That is really cool to hear about and some really great advice for international students studying at Purdue. But now we're going to transition a little bit more back to your career. So what has been the most rewarding part of your career after leaving Purdue? Looking back, I've just been amazed how happy I have been and how well Purdue prepared me for an academic career. For someone who was never interested in research, I became a strong researcher. For someone who was afraid of public speaking, I became a teacher in a classroom. And that's something you get uh, at least two, three times a week, for, at least for sure. And so I think if I have to categorize a list of things that, that I've delighted about, I would say they are, I helped to build a PhD program at West Virginia University from scratch, recruited faculty who helped me build that program. We graduated our first PhD in 94. And I think to date, we have graduated more than 60, 70 PhDs. And they're all very well placed in either pharmacy academia, the pharmaceutical industry, or clinical research organizations or government agencies. Uh, the program was so popular and became so good that the Board of Governors, well, in their lives, you recognize that everything must have a return on investment. You can't just be investing and not have anything come back that is impactful. And some of that return could be not in monetary terms. It could be surely impact, the impact something has on a large number of people positively. So I helped to create some statewide programs that focused on improving medication use, particularly work with the state Medicaid program and with the public employment insurance agency. It impacted 40% of the state population in West Virginia. It was a prior authorization program, making sure that when physicians prescribed a medicine, it was affordable, it was rational, it was cost-effective. And we employed about 10 11 pharmacists and about 10, 11 pharmacy technicians with that program. That program still continues. We started that in 1995. It's still running strong there. And during the opioid crisis, which continues even today, we also came up with a program that helps to control, I can't say eliminate, but help to control overuse, misuse, abuse of opioid prescription drugs. And so a lot of those programs come to mind at, at UNT. I feel wonderful that they accepted me, my faculty and staff. During a very difficult time, within a few months of joining here, we had the pandemic for two years. We kept our programs going and we are very thankful. I'm very thankful to the faculty and staff who helped to do that. We created some new certificate and master's degree programs. We also uh, focused on creating body Overall, you know, when, when the faculty surveys and the and the graduating student surveys come out, I've seen a distinct increase in the level of satisfaction of students and faculty in our program over the last four years. And so I feel wonderful about that and, ha and having had the opportunity to 
contribute to such terrific people who accepted me. So I'm very grateful for that. Of course, well, all of that university experience really leads into our next question. What would you say makes each of them unique and different? So I've been at two major universities, and, and both of these universities are public universities, mean, which means that they, to some extent, the budget comes from taxpayer dollars. So they have an accountability or they have responsibility to the taxpayers of the state. And when you are a public university, your mission is about creating outstanding educational opportunities, programs that will help students get the qualifications, the training, the skills necessary for them to find jobs. And as you know, the job market is slowly becoming in terms of, and so whatever you are preparing them for, it has to be very contemporaneous in terms of achieving the needs of the society. Also, it's about research. Uh, research is about creating new technology, new discoveries, and such that they can be commercialized. And when you can commercialize them, you, can, you create job opportunities for people. So increasing employment in society. And a third important part of our mission is to help provide service. Service that can be typically in healthcare tends to be direct patient care services. And when you do that, you are trying to help improve the quality of life of the citizens that you serve through those direct services, whether for us in pharmacy, it may be in a community pharmacy, it may be in a hospital pharmacy, in a managed care pharmacy. And so when you look at that, both the universities I've been at have had very consistent mission. Culture may be a little different way of doing things, and every university is different in that. And so what has been very nice for me is in both these places, I have felt that the environment keeps you on your toes. You're always learning. You have to. Your students are smarter every day. They know more. And then your field is also changing so much. So just keeping up makes it makes all the difference in the world. Having been at these two great institutions, I'm very proud of the opportunities they have provided me. Wonderful. Well, to wrap things up today, I know we've kind of touched on advice already. But if you have any more, we would love to hear some advice you have for freshmen, students just entering college, and then for any advice for seniors graduating and leaving for future schooling and starting careers. Sure. Let me talk about higher education in general, college education. You may have seen yourself that there is concern about um, the value of higher education. People who say it's too costly, takes too much time. Some people say it's irrelevant. But the fact is that study after study have shown that a person with a college degree earns about 80% more than somebody with a high school background. And over a lifetime, somebody with a college degree may earn about over a million dollars more than somebody without a college degree. Now, it's not just about money. It's also about finding the right thing to do and right thing to study and what makes you happy. And so if you're a person, and if you don't have any extraordinary talents, like uh, you can't throw a ball, a football, or put a ball into a hoop from 30, 30 feet away, or you're a musician, you have great musical singing talents, if you don't have those extraordinary abilities, and you're willing to work hard, a college is still the best bet in terms of creating a career. So I absolutely encourage that for any, any freshman coming in, that they made the right choice. And it's a matter for them to 
stick to what they're doing and do a good job. It's also important that you do what you would love to do. And I talked about Ikigai as a, as a concept, as a Japanese term. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the book's about it and, and it's becoming quite the word now. Ikigai is about finding that sweet spot between what you love to do, what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what the society needs. And if you find that uh, intersection of that, then you're going to be in a career that's going to be very happy for you. A great example of this is my own older son. He wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. And right from childhood, he talked about working for NASA. So when he finished high school, he, uh, he went to West Virginia University and signed up for a double major in aeronautical and mechanical engineering, did two years of it, and then decided that was not for him and decided to go into journalism, which gave me a lot of concern coming from India. As I told you, there are certain fields that you know, Indians pressure their children to go into. And I remember having the conversation with them and I said, are you sure it's a tough career? It's very competitive. It's the, it doesn't pay as well as some of the other careers, particularly engineering. And he said, yes, dad, but I love to write. And I said, okay, show me some examples of what you have written. And I remember him bringing out this big binder full of stuff. And I started to read his, the things that he had written. I was so impressed with that. And I felt like, okay, looks like he's found his calling. And then he started his, and in each of the past three years, he's won awards for journalism. Yes, he doesn't get paid as much, but he's happy. And I saw a distinct change in his mood. When he was going through engineering school, he had become a little sullen monosyllabic in his answers to questions, wouldn't see a smile on his face for days. And then when he started journalism, he was a whole different young man. And so I think that's very important. And it changed my perspective as an Indian person who thought like, oh, you have to be a doctor, you have to be an engineer, you have to do this or that. And I'm, I'm a big fan of people finding their sweet spot in life and being, you know, being in that. For a senior student, I'll just say, I'll speak from the perspective of a, a pharmacy senior, because in pharmacy, there's this extraordinary concern right now about the low morale of pharmacists and the negativity that's there. And it's, it's particularly bad after the pandemic. And the message I have for senior students is that there are plenty of jobs. Pharmacy is a very robust profession. As long as people fall sick, there will be a job. Every year, about 40 new drugs come into the marketplace. So in five years, whatever you learn in pharmacy school has become obsolete. You have to, you have to be someone who's constantly learning new things, or, or you have to be a lifelong learner. It's an exciting profession. It pays really well. It's a very flexible job. There are a lot of job opportunities. There are 10 different career paths. So I'll tell the pharmacy student, just find your way. Don't listen to people. And yes, things are bad for a reason, but a lot of the professional associations, academic pharmacy, state agencies, the board, boards of pharmacy are all looking into trying to help alleviate the issue of low morale, work conditions, and all the things that are contributing to the negativity among pharmacists. So that's my message to the pharmacy seniors. Of course. Well, Suresh, thank you so much. You've answered all our questions. You've been listening to season two of the Old Masters podcast where we hear words of wisdom from past boilermakers who have made great strides in their fields. 
Connect with the 2023 Old Masters class by attending this year's Evening with the Old Masters on Monday, November 6th at 5.30 p.m. Special thanks to our Old Masters podcast guests, our Old Masters advisors, Juno Matsuda-Johnson and Margie Jones, our Old Masters promotional officers and podcast producers, Parcia Bahrami, Ali Boyle, Martha Hunter, and Vivian Schmall, and the 2023 Old Masters Central Committee.